from an account-based marketing perspective, people don't typically want to engage with vendors. They want to engage with peers. So when you figure out where your audience actually hangs out and you can start to create content in that space and you actually engage them from a non-salesy perspective, you then position yourself as a peer versus a vendor. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Mason Cosby. Mason is the director of growth at Mojo Media Labs. He's also the podcast host of The Marketing Ladder. And today, I would love to talk with Mason about all things ABM, that's account-based marketing, and LinkedIn. So welcome to the show, Mason. Paris, I could not be more excited to join today to talk ABM and, and LinkedIn and honestly, two of my favorite topics. So just thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. So let's get right into it. Let's First, I want to get a little bit of background about, about Mojo Media Labs. Can you tell me a little bit about the agency and your role in the agency? Yeah. So I, I serve as director of growth, which means I'm the strategic lead for our marketing efforts and also guide people through our sales process with the rationale there of we, we want people to enter into a strategic conversation with a partner. So uh, I'm actively engaged in executing marketing with our team over here. And then when people need our services, they also have the opportunity to talk with me and figure out how we can best partner with them. So we've standardly been a HubSpot agency. And then about 2017, found out this concept of ABM and we're fully bought in. So uh, we've been really leading the way in the HubSpot community around ABM and the concept and helping HubSpot themselves actually implement some of the, the technology to better execute ABM. So that is the space that we live in is HubSpot and ABM and try to help clients run pilot campaigns to, to get it off the ground, to show the value to their larger team. And from there, continue to iterate and grow. Great. For those uninitiated who are listening, can you help us understand what is account-based marketing? Yeah, so it's it's really a focused approach around your best fit customers. So when most people hear marketing, they think the goal is to get as much attention and awareness from as many people as possible, fill the funnel, and we'll figure it out on the back end once people have gone through the funnel. And if we can just pass a bunch over to sales, it'll all shake out eventually, probably. And it's highly inefficient. I mean, you're bringing in a ton of, and I don't want to use the word garbage. People have used the word garbage, but it's still people like, but they're not the right, they're not the right people for your organization. And you're going to be able to best serve those people. They have specific needs. They have legitimate needs, but they're just not the needs that you can serve. So the goal of account-based marketing is to then figure out who do we serve best that is going to work with us for the longest period of time. So that instead of trying to, I think another phrase that's used a lot is burn and churn which is yeah. where we get clients in, we're actually not the right fit. We burn them because they're upset with us because we didn't give them the right products and then they just leave. So instead of doing a burn and churn to just get as much money in the door, it's how do we focus in on the right customers that have a long life with us, that love us, 
and then we'll continue to help bring new business in the door because when you love somebody and you love the work that they're able to do with you, you typically talk about them. So that's the approach of ABM. When I think of ABM, I think of this concept of whale hunting. Mm-hmm. Would, is that a fair statement? So I'm going to say yes and no. Classic consulting answer. It depends. Another way that I've heard it put is instead of casting a net, you go spearfishing. And I think all of those ideas hit around it. The only fear that I have in general with saying whale hunting is you need a mix in your pipeline because if you only go whale, so if you were to shut off every activity and only go whale hunting for many people, a whale may take 12 months to close and you're not going to get any results in 12 months if you're only going whale hunting and then the people won't see the actual, the executives on your team won't see the actual value. So for us, when we're running pilot campaigns, we're actually running typically more one to many and doing, for lack of a better word, targeted demand gen that then gets more personalized the further someone moves into the funnel and into the pipeline so that we can, for lack of a better word, not go cold turkey from lead gen, like mass demand gen approach, but we can slowly shift then into more of a truly account-based approach. So we start one to many and then slowly move one to few. And then for some clients, even one-to-one campaigns where they're building out whole campaigns to close a single account. Obviously, those accounts would be some of the biggest whales you could even imagine. When I think through the target account list, it's based on like how much revenue do we actually need to generate? And then from there, how specific do we want to get with our targeting? So it's yeah. not necessarily whale hunting because it does depend on what kind of revenue you're trying to close. It's more about just spear fishing, and it could be medium-sized fish as well. When I also think of ABM, uh, I think that it's extremely content and resource heavy because yeah. you've got to, you've probably got a target of a very narrow niche of, a, of an industry or a sub-industry and create a whole lot of content just for a narrow group, case studies, maybe premium content like white papers or other types of reports, maybe blog posts or videos. What goes into all the content marketing behind an ABM campaign? Yes. I mean, I, in, a, in about a month, I'm actually working through a deck entirely dedicated to how to create content for ABM. And as I was going through that and building out the content for that in and of itself, it's all the same tactics. Like it's all the same. There's only so many ways you can do content. The difference is the intentionality in the audience. So again, you can write a blog post that is SEO rich and it still be for an ABM campaign, but the keywords that you would target would be the keywords that you're ideal customers would actually go after. So for example, I've written a blog that's titled um, how to use HubSpot for account-based marketing. That's not for all HubSpot users. It's not for all people that are using account-based marketing, but it's, it's a very specific blog post that is going after HubSpot users that want to learn about ABM. And typically that's going to be in our ideal audience. And what we've actually seen is that a lot of our target accounts actually read that content because they're interested in ABM and they've already got HubSpot. So it's more of who's the intended audience. So again, one to many, that can be video content, that can be blog content, that can even be podcasts. And you can think from one to one could be podcasting by the people that you invite onto the show. So it's the long story short is the content, it needs to map to an understanding of what is our ideal audience? What is our actual target account list? Gotcha. And, and are you typically trying to reach a particular role or position in a company so that you can 
get the so-called land and expand approach? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So when you're running true ABM, you want to create content for the different roles on the buying committee. So for example, you know, a lot of marketers love to buy technology, but tech is really expensive and the marketers still need to get buy-in from their CFO or their finance team, or in some cases they need to still get buy-in from sales. There's just a lot of decision makers involved in B2B, which makes it so complex. So when you're creating content, you would want to create content that addresses the concerns and the questions for each person on the buying committee. So for example, finance is always going to have the question of marketing. If I give you these dollars, are you going to get me a return? Because I have a certain number of dollars that I need to deploy somewhere in the business and I need to make sure that gets a return. So you could then create content that is exclusively around how this piece of technology has delivered ROI for companies in X industry. And again, that's a very good piece of content to directly address objections that will come from finance. Or you could create content around a piece of technology that has driven marketing and sales to increase and increase pipeline and increase pipeline acceleration. That's going to answer a lot of the questions for your sales team. So it's creating content, again, for the different decision makers so that when everybody comes together, they've already had their questions answered. And then it's just a question of where do we sign on the dotted line? Excellent. And now let's talk about the distribution. The first channel that comes to mind with ABM is LinkedIn. Would you agree that LinkedIn is probably the best social media channel to use for ABM? I would say getting started for sure, because by the nature that LinkedIn has, quite frankly, the best native targeting. So for example, what I do is I'll actually take a company, our target account list, I'll upload that into LinkedIn, and then I will filter based on seniority, location, and job function slash department. So as a marketing agency, I'm targeting more senior director, VP level people with our content that are in the marketing departments at a total of 300 accounts. And the goal there is to create that engagement. So from an advertising perspective, LinkedIn is probably the best distribution channel for ABM natively. And I give you all that context and I say natively because there are ABM tech platforms that open up new channels. There's things like metadata that give you LinkedIn-like targeting on Facebook. So again, if you're getting started low-hanging fruit opportunities, I would recommend LinkedIn because it's already got all the targeting baked into it, but there are additional pieces of technology that you can purchase that would give you an expanded list of channels, whether that be, again, even further display advertising, Google ads, you know, there are people that are now, or there are technology vendors that offer like TV advertising that's targeted and podcast advertising that's targeted to a target account list. So again, really the goal of ABM is to create this surround sound experiences is the term that's frequently used, but essentially you want to advertise wherever your ideal customers are. So yes, long story short, LinkedIn is the best place to start. But if you're truly serious, once you've proven the value, there's a lot of great technology that can take it the next step. And so we're, we're mostly talking of LinkedIn ads here and the targeting is quite precise, especially if you mm-hmm. upload your own matched audience, your own list of companies. And one of the problems we've bumped into with that particular approach is that if the list size gets too small and LinkedIn just won't accept it. So for LinkedIn, if I remember correctly, you only actually need 300 people. 
So if you can upload a list of, you know, I, I look at that from the lens of if you can upload a list of a hundred accounts or 50 accounts, and then you would just need to expand it to be the appropriate departments. And honestly, what I've talked with people about is I would focus in on departments. And then if you need to expand the levels of seniority within the right departments, for example, I'm not a, an official decision maker, but I am a massive key influencer in our organization. I'm never going to sign a dotted line, at least for the foreseeable future. But also you're not going to get in front of a decision maker until you've gotten in front of me because our decision makers are too busy to vet vendors. I, I'm probably going to be targeted by the title of director. But when I started at Mojo, I was a digital marketing specialist, but I was still the same level of key influencer that I am. So again, that's something to consider within your organizations. Uh, people might not have the exact title that you would target, but more often than not, CMOs and CEOs and CFOs do not have time to sit on calls to just vet vendors. That's typically going to be lower level that then works yeah. its way up the chain. Right. Yeah. So the key influence, the, the so-called the gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Befriend your gatekeepers. Right. Right. And also with LinkedIn, are you all taking that content and trying to sequence it in some sort of a funnel where let's say you might, you might initially show them a video. If they watch a portion of that video, they would then get something a little bit further down funnel, like maybe uh, an in-depth guide. Yeah. And then only as a last step, they would get some sort of an offer with a call to action or how do you structure the content in a way that kind of reflects the funnel or do you at all? It depends on the client. So some clients, like we've mentioned, they are transitioning from this funnel approach to more of a, an account-based approach. They're move, they're transitioning from inbound to account-based. For many of them, they want the clear buyer stages and the clear steps throughout the funnel. So we'll start with a content hub and then transition them into product pages and then transition them into requests to demo. That kind of a standard mapping content to the funnel. I personally, as I run our marketing from an account-based approach, I don't do that for the express purpose that all of our buyers are in are radically different stages. And oftentimes it's not based on my first party data that I can tell what stage that they're in because they may be Googling ABM agency and look at our website. But if they if they hit our website for the first time, that might trigger a specific series of retargeting ads that might be pushing them towards a content hub because they haven't yet reached the content hub. But if they've Googled ABM agency, they're likely a very qualified person. I want to make sure that we're hitting them with additional content or request a demo or not demo in our case, request a call. So yeah. again, it can go either way. It just depends on one, what you actually have to drive traffic towards. And then two, again, what are you guys seeing is working best? Again, in the case of a marketing agency, it, it can be a lot of different things, but for some of our clients, they're educating a whole lot. So they're focused in on driving traffic towards a content hub and then towards a call. Yeah. I tend to agree with you that it's more logical in these cases to start from the bottom and work your way up the funnel. Just mm -hmm. because you don't really know if, let's say you've got an audience of 300 or 500 people across, say, 50 to 100 companies. Those people, for the most part, haven't visited your website yet. So you haven't cookied them. They're not in a remarketing list. You don't know at what stage they're in. And if you address all those people with top of funnel educational content, 
then you're putting, you're just putting top of funnel content in front of someone that might have high intent who could be ready to buy or ready to book a demo today. And you'd be missing an opportunity. You'd, you'd be mismatching content to intent. And that's the same reason why in our agency, we typically advise to start with paid search because this is the channel that brings the most immediate results. This is the, the quickest, these are the quickest wins is to try to go after. Um, if I may throw something out sure. there that's interesting to think through, you know, right now with what the U.S. is experiencing, at least with the, the impending recession and, and massive inflation and all these economic factors, a lot of people have pulled their ad dollars from LinkedIn and are now redeploying them towards Google, which has driven Google's CPC up, whereas LinkedIn is continually decreasing. There may be an opportunity, again, if you are exploring how do I better reach my audience, LinkedIn right now is actually on a discount as compared to where it normally is because people have taken that approach of we need to deploy our dollars where there's the largest intent channels. And granted, Google is a far larger intent channel than LinkedIn, but your LinkedIn dollars may be stretched a lot further right now to make your target accounts aware and start to engage with your content so that, again, three months from now, you've been advertising on LinkedIn and they're, they're now entering into pipeline. Right. Well, that's really interesting. And I didn't, I didn't know that, but it makes perfect sense that in a recession, of course, marketing budgets as a whole are probably getting squeezed and then they're getting redeployed into where they're going to get the most immediate bang for the buck. Marketers are less, well, they're more, more reluctant to invest in longer term strategies and brand building but this could be the time to get LinkedIn at a discount. It's really interesting. And I've got to ask you, Mason, also, do you believe that LinkedIn still gives decent organic reach? Yes. So my main strategy for LinkedIn and ABM is actually organic. I run some ads, but I'm not spending a ton of money on ads because we're able to still generate some pretty significant results from an organic standpoint and fill our pipeline with our right fit customers. Yeah, when I talk about LinkedIn, that's actually my preferred method at this moment is, is still organic. What type of organic content are you mostly putting out there? Honestly, text posts. I know that I could probably, if I, you know, if I had a little bit more bandwidth, I could create a ton of video content. So when I talk about doing things, I don't have sales nav. I don't have this incredible team behind me um, that's writing all this. Like I just sit down at my desk and write for about 15 minutes a day and make a post and the only thing that I have is a target account list that I'm using for LinkedIn organic ABM. So I will send out and follow, I'll send out connection requests and follow the decision makers and key influencers at my target accounts. And then I'm creating content on a daily basis that's relevant and helpful to them so that then they'll engage in my content. And then when someone starts to continuously engage in my content, I'll eventually say, hey, thank you so much for engaging with my content. What's been most helpful for you? At which point they will then say, I really loved your content on ABM. And I've even had people go as far as to say, I copy paste the links to your posts in our Slack channels as a proof of concept to our executive team on the value that ABM can bring an organization. I'm like, that's amazing. Would it ever make sense for us to have a conversation around your ABM strategy? And 50% of the time, they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's schedule a call. So it's that's the strategy of essentially hang out where your target accounts hang out, create content that's valuable for them, befriend them, build a community with them. And then whenever they actually need your help and your services, 
it makes sense. And you aren't just this person that's coming in as a cold pitch. I've been engaging people for a year. It's a longer term play, but it's in the grand scheme of things, it's taken six or seven months and it costs zero dollars. So it is very accessible for people. Yeah. And that there's a, there's a warm relationship built over those months. And most likely when you get to the a chance where you can pitch, maybe you won't even be going up against any other agency at that point. They're just ready. They have enough comfort. Yeah. Can I tell a quick story of how this has worked? Please do. Yeah. Go for it. So on Friday, I will casually hop on networking calls with people. And more often than not, they are ideal customers or even customers that have been pre-identified on a target account list. One of which was an ABM director at a $1.7 billion med tech company. And he and I were just shooting the breeze, talking ABM. And he just had a, a moment where he broke down on Friday and was like, I'm so frustrated and tired of being the only person that knows how to truly implement ABM in my company. They aren't letting me hire, but I know I need an ABM agency. To which I then asked, I just said, hey, I don't want to like overstep, but you know I work in an ABM agency. Like, are you asking me to enter into a sales conversation with you around partnering with you? He goes, yes, I want you to talk with me. So later this week, we have a sales conversation with someone that I've been engaging with for six or seven months and have hopped on two networking calls with over the past month just to get to know him. And he told me, I want an ABM agency. To which I could then say, well, I'm an ABM agency. Do you want my help? That could be a huge opportunity. Are you going to be on that call or, did, or are you passing yeah. that to a salesperson? Okay. No, that's, that's me. Well, I guide people through our sales process. Okay. So I'm focused on the strategy. I kind of task out the more tactical elements, but I'm guiding the strategy of what we do and then walking people through the sales process to make sure that they, they have someone that's actually been in the trenches that understands the strategic elements of how to guide a marketing strategy so that when we enter into that conversation, they're then met by a peer versus somebody that's just doing sales. Yeah, got it. I wanted to ask you, have you had success with these lead gen ads on LinkedIn or do you prefer sending people to landing pages? We, we ran a, a campaign towards a day long virtual conference that we hosted back in April called ABMathon. It had 20 sessions, like 25 or 30 speakers. It was just absurd. Um, and we ran some lead gen forms and I got one lead. So I personally didn't see a ton of value out of it for the purposes of that event. It was more of a long-term brand play. So we ran target account ads up against a target account list. And the goal was to show our target accounts, our brand, our name, and the title ABMathon to establish in people's minds that Mojo Media Labs is the ABM agency because what agency hosts a day long virtual conference with sponsors like Terminus and Sendoso and Sales Intel and can get speakers like the global head of ABM at HP. It was entirely a brand play and it still got 700 registrants, but almost none of them came through a lead gen form. It was awareness ads that linked to a landing page where people then filled in their email and their, their name. So that's what I found works best for us. And obviously the best answer is experiment. But from what I've heard from other people that have run a lot of ads and the results that I've seen personally, and just looking at our own clients, you can, with the right message and targeting, you can get a lot more bang for your buck focusing in on awareness ads that are measured on cost per million. 
um, C and are, are focused in on impressions over CPC. For our own efforts, we focus more on organic because it's still driving. I mean, three weeks ago, I drove $1 billion in pipeline from LinkedIn organic and sending out intentional messages to 30 people, 15 of which entered into our pipeline. The other 15 said, can you follow up in a month? So it's almost been a month. I might generate another million in next week from LinkedIn organic. So I don't, I'm not spending my time focused on ads at the moment, but things like metadata specifically is the one that comes to mind where you get LinkedIn like targeting on Facebook. That's essentially their whole value proposition. And I know that many other data enrichment platforms like Zoom Info or Sales Intel, you can pull a personal email address as well. So you could build a list in Facebook focused in on personal email. The only problem with that is unlike LinkedIn, where you can upload a company list and then target entire departments, so you don't have to focus as much on email match. With Facebook, if you're using a data enrichment platform like a Zoom Info or a Sales Intel, you would have to get the right personal email to get a one-to-one -one match. So it's not true account focused because you're not targeting the entire account per se, you're targeting individuals within an account using a different channel. Yeah, got it. And let's pivot over to your podcast, Mason. Can you, is the marketing ladder, is that your personal podcast or is that affiliated with Mojo Media Labs? So it is technically not affiliated with Mojo. And I, I say that with a smile because it has definitely served Mojo well. <laughs> There's a marketing career focused podcast and I've been doing it for about seven months. And so far I've been able to recruit five new team members to our team through the podcast. And we've been able to source about $200,000 in revenue based on the podcast, which again is not affiliated. It's not Mojo related at all, but we'll have guests from the show that interact with me, have great conversations, enjoy just our conversation in general and are like, man, Mason seems like a nice guy. He seems generally up to date on what's happening in marketing. And he happens to work at an agency and we need an agency. Why don't I just chat with Mason yeah. and see if we'd be a good fit. So it's, it's honestly just a passion project, but it's been a yeah. ton of fun. But you're not really talking about ABM on that podcast. You're talking about career progression, career paths in marketing. Yeah. The whole stick of the show is, I mean, if you, if you talk with people about their marketing careers, everybody's got a weird backstory. Like, because what we're doing today didn't really exist 10 years ago. And like, I remember if you look at tech companies, they have entire departments that are dedicated to partnerships. Partner marketing didn't exist five years ago. So it's walking through all these crazy career paths. And the entire intent is helping people understand all the different ways you could build a career in marketing. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some of the key points of advice given everything you've heard? What are, say, two or three points of advice you would give to somebody just starting out a career in marketing if they want to be a CMO yeah. in 15 years? Honestly, I've I've heard so many pieces of advice, and there's a I'm starting to pull out kind of a standard thread. And there's a book in my head that I'm like starting to outline because it's just there's only one other book on marketing careers specifically that I can think of. The biggest thing is intentionality. You have to truly have the desire to want to grow into your career in that specific way. Cause nobody's just stumbling into becoming a CMO. Like it doesn't really happen. There's a high level of drive intentionality and desire 
to achieve those high levels within organizations. So that'd be the first thing. And then essentially, again, this is not in a particular order, but the other piece of advice that I have really pulled out is get a sampling. There is so much in the marketing world that you could specialize in. And I I recommend getting a sampling for the purpose that you want to figure out where you're going to want to spend probably five to 10 years of your career specializing and going really deep because in order to truly hit the higher levels, there's a point in which you've got to be a specialist and then move into a manager role over specialists. And then from there, you also, you want to have a deep understanding across the discipline. So the way that I view it, this is circuitous, but we'll get there. You do the sampling across the marketing skill sets. You get deep expertise in one or two different areas, and then you move into a management type role while also still trying to learn and if possible, get deep practical expertise in as many functional areas of marketing as possible. From there, you'll actually have a full view of marketing and then can truly transition from being a quote unquote marketer And this is what Chris Walker shared with me of transitioning from being a marketer to being a business professional that specializes in marketing. And when you look at C-suite people, they're truly business professionals that have an area of specialty for the business. And CMOs understand the gauntlet of marketing, but they also understand the the fundamentals of how to build a business. That would be the recommended career path is figure out how do I get a sampling? Ideally, that's going to be in kind of smaller organizations, startup organizations where you're just a generalist and doing a lot. And then as you do that, you start to shed the responsibilities of the things that you're not as good at, focus in on the things that you're best at, and then continue to grow into management. Yeah. Now a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. And any advice on having part of that career path be in an agency versus in-house if you want to, let's say, accelerate your experience in, in touching those different aspects of marketing or going deeper just with just more at-bats. What do you think about joining an agency versus just staying in-house for career acceleration? I have an interesting role because I work at an agency, but I'm essentially brand side of the agency. Yeah. So I have this weird You're mix. You're in-house agency guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super weird role that nobody really talks about all that frequently. So candidly, I have only actually ever been quote unquote in-house, even though I work at an agency currently. But what's been interesting is to, to my knowledge, and you know, I've done 75 episodes at this point. So maybe, maybe somebody mentioned it, but to my knowledge, nobody specifically outlined like it was the agency specifically that dramatically accelerated my career. But it was small organizations where you've got to learn a lot. You've got to learn quickly. You've got to fail fast. And you're held highly accountable to results. That can happen a lot in an agency, obviously, because 
when you're in an agency and you're working with clients, the reason they're paying you is to get specific results. But it could also happen in a startup space where you're the first or second or third dedicated marketing hire and you own. So for example, first marketing hires, their job is marketing. <laughs> so they like they they have to do it all. So that's been the continuous thread that I've seen is it's not necessarily agency versus brand side, but it is a stage of company. And essentially, functionally, what are you doing? Are you doing it all? And then the final point to that is not everyone, but most people at some point have built their own business to some extent. They have done some freelancing on the side. They've some people have straight up built entire agencies that then got acquired and then they move into the brand side again. But there is something that I'm seeing continuously in building a passion project, being held accountable, building something on your own with all success or failure being tied to you specifically that builds better leaders. So I think that that's also a critical piece is figuring out how do I build something on my own that could be just, again, freelancing. It could be consulting. I mean, I feel like these really executive leaders are all doing some level of advising on the side yeah. or, you know, strategic consulting of some kind. Yeah. One of the things that we encourage all of the leaders in our agency to do or to act out is to be entrepreneurs in the business Yep. and to try as much as possible to take a real ownership over a certain part of the business. And I think it's not only tolerated, but even encouraged for people to have side gigs and to develop mm -hmm. themselves even beyond our agency, because we know we can't, we can't hold them captive. I mean, this is not the world we live in. We're, we're in the gig economy and that's only going to get bigger and bigger. And as people have access now to opportunities like never before. So let them go yeah. out and do what they want to do and acquire those skills, because a lot of the times that's going to help benefit their core role. And when they move on, they move on. And, and in some cases it's a, uh, you know, I think of us some, sometimes almost like a university. People come through here, they have great development, they have a career springboard, and they move on and, and do great things. And they will always t uh, say that their time at our agency was the formative period for them. And um, that gives me huge pride. Yeah, I simply couldn't agree more. And just to, re to frame that in, in another way, we think about the fact that most employees are leaving their companies every 18 to 24 months. So as the employer, you can either equip your employees to grow long-term and become a foundational piece of their story where they point back and say, it was because of my time there that I became who I am today. Or you can be the employer that tries to hold people back and say, no, I need you to stay here exclusively. Like I don't want you to grow past us. And then you become the foundational element of the story that says, I grew despite my time there. So do you want to be the thing that accelerates or the thing that causes adversity? Right. Yeah. Well put. Let me check the LinkedIn live. I don't think we have questions yet, sadly, but. I think we had one question. I can, I can read it out if that would be. Go for it. Yeah. So after three steps of social marketing, we now have a list of target people who downloaded successfully an ebook, a case study, and a short video. We've gotten their names, emails, phone numbers, job titles, et cetera. What's the best way to cold call them? What I would recommend on that front is one of two things. I would start with, it sounds like you've been predominantly doing social advertising. 
I would focus in on having whoever's going to be that, that, that salesperson. And let me clarify, not necessarily an SDR, but like your account executive, that's going to actually be walking someone through the sales process. Because if they're already targeted, you've probably already qualified them from a, what we call firmographic standpoint. The only thing that would disqualify them at this point would be culture fit. So go ahead and bypass a lot of the qualification stages, get straight into the person they'll be dealing with in the sales process, do some LinkedIn outreach and some follow-up emails. And then once you've done that, what you can do is say, Hey, I've really enjoyed some of our conversations here. I'd love to hop on a call. Is there a time that you have available next week? And what you can then do is invite them to actually schedule a call. At that point, they will either immediately say like, I'm actually not interested in your services at all. And you've saved some time or they'll actually be expecting your call. So I would not refer to it as a cold call, but the goal is to create, again, more of a warm call situation. Yeah. Thank you, Wolfgang, for that question and, and great answer, Mason. Well, as we wrap up here, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think that our audience could benefit from? I, I want to walk through very quickly. This is like the best piece of advice that I can give really anybody. So this is it. Oh, great. From an account-based marketing perspective, people don't typically want to engage with vendors. They want to engage with peers. So when you figure out where your audience actually hangs out and you can start to create content in that space and you actually engage them from a non-salesy perspective, you then position yourself as a peer versus a vendor. Mojo at this point in the eyes of our target accounts were peers. They are looking to partner with us. They're not looking to buy from us. They're not looking to be sold. It's a different relationship entirely. And the way that you do that, and they actually start to build that sustainably, is once you've got your target account list on LinkedIn specifically, if you want to go LinkedIn, you can send out 100 connection requests on a weekly basis. And I max that out every single week, connecting with my target accounts and those that are ideal customers that have engaged with my content. From there, I've done that since September. It's June. In September, I had like 1,600 connections and followers. Today, I've got 8,300. So it's been a significant increase. My content has a much further reach because I'm now becoming viewed as a peer. And on top of all of that, I now get invited on a podcast to speaking engagements. Um, it's how it's, I've helped to accelerate my own career is because I'm now building these one-to-one -one relationships. And it's, it all started with sending out 100 connection requests and creating content on LinkedIn. And from that, you can then send out those one-to-one -one connect or those one-to-one -one messages where it's like, Hey, I've seen you engage with my content a lot. And essentially you're asking, would you want to enter into a sales process? It's not necessarily the connect and pitch. I don't connect and pitch. I just connect and then I create that's And I try to be genuinely helpful for people. That has been the game changer that has absolutely shifted my own career and our approach to sales as an organization and the impact that we've had from a sales perspective. Larger deal sizes, faster closes, higher close rate because we're building relationships before they enter into a sales process. That's great. So become a peer. And that one final quick question that I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Mason, the time that you spend writing that dedicated post, do you, are you working off of a, a list of, of ideas or a calendar or, or are you just looking for daily inspiration, whatever, whatever you feel inspired about in that moment? So at this point, personally, I release two podcast episodes a week. I'm probably recording some weeks, five or six different podcast episodes. I host two weekly ABM office hours. 
I write content all the time and I live like I live life and I'm surrounded by marketers all the time. So getting started was really difficult because I was like, what do I even talk about? But now that I post at least once a day, it flows way more naturally because I just talk about what happened yesterday. I talk about what's happening today or tomorrow. And this was a post from Justin Welch that just really hit me probably nine months ago, which was, if you want to become more interesting online, become more interesting offline. So we all focus on like, what could I say on LinkedIn that would get me a ton of traction and focus less on what you're doing on LinkedIn. And as you do more things offline that are more impactful and are more helpful, like hopping on calls with strangers from LinkedIn is like one of the best things you can do because you actually get to hear what your ideal audience on LinkedIn wants to hear about. You just do that enough and that content kind of flows out and you don't really have to think about it as much. And I know that I, there are tons of people that have like a backlog and an Excel spreadsheet of all the posts that they could have. I personally haven't done that because I've built a personal brand on being someone that's authentic and off the cuff. And when I had batched all my content, it became too markety. So I don't do that. I'm just, if you go look at my LinkedIn, it's pretty much for better and for worse, a, a stream of consciousness of what I'm actively thinking about and experiencing today, which means it's always relevant. It's always authentic. And by the nature of what I do for a living, it helps those that I want to engage with. That's great. Mason, thanks so much. This has been fantastic. Where can people go to find you online? We've talked about it a fair bit today. So LinkedIn yeah. is kind of the main one. I have the follow button, but if you want to connect, I always accept connection requests. So feel free to connect and ask questions. I always love answering questions. And then the other one would be the marketing ladder, which is available everywhere you find podcasts. If you find a podcast distribution channel where it's not there, please connect with me and tell me because I want to fix that. But so far, no one has told me it's not there. So I think we're everywhere. Great. Mason, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this. We learned a ton about ABM, about LinkedIn, and you gave us, all, all, I think, a lot of great secrets the success that I hope a lot of people can act on. So good luck everybody listening with your future ABM strategies and connect with Mason and check out Mojo Media Labs. And Mason, thanks a lot. Looking forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely, Paris. Thank you so much. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.